Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us Jeff Diamond. Jeff, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Ah, happy to have you here, Jeff. Jeff, tell us a bit about your current role and your company. Sure. Uh, so I, uh, I work for LexisNexis Risk Solutions Group, uh, the healthcare division of that group. Um, my current occupation there, my current role is as Senior Vice President of Commercial Operations. Uh, what that means uh, more functionally is I have responsibilities over the sales organization, account management organization, our sales operations teams, our strategy group, and our marketing teams for the, for the division. That's a pretty broad spectrum of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have had an opportunity to kind of float around the organization for the past 14 years. Uh, so I've picked up a little bit of, of every functional team, functional group along the way. Um, as I've found myself in the healthcare group, uh, I've been blessed to have some really strong mentorship that's put me in a position to kind of lead larger swath of, uh, of this division. So those of you listening, when Jeff and I did a, a call to talk about him coming on the show, he asked me like, Chris, why do you want me on the podcast? And I said, Jeff, you know, one of the things I saw when you look at his LinkedIn profile, he's been at the same place for a long time. And you just don't see that anymore. And you see that progression. So check out Jeff's uh, uh, LinkedIn profile and you'll see that progression as he moves through the organization. It's pretty wild. Jeff, tell me about the three things that have really contributed to your success for your career. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of things I, I'd like to think have contributed to my success. The, the three that come to mind are probably, uh, probably cliche to some extent, but uh, work ethic um, is, is a big one. Uh, sponsorship is another one. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that. And then the last is probably just a, a drive to want to win. Right, that there's it's a difference between having a work ethic and wanting to win. Right, some people are gifted naturally and want to win. Uh, others have to work at it. I think I'm I'm probably the latter. I have to work at it pretty hard, uh, but nothing nothing short. There's no shortage of drive when it comes to uh, to to my own expectations. So those are probably the, the top three things. Um, you tell me where you want to jump into. You want to jump into all those? I can. Yeah, let's dive in. Uh, so, so work ethic, I'd say, is, is an eight, right? If you, if you want to be successful, I, I truly believe this. If you really want to be successful, you need to outwork everybody else. Your competition, for example, if that's the way you view career progression or your ability to grow professionally, you just, you just need to be willing to put in the time and the effort. Um, and that's something that I, I pride myself on. I, I come from a family of very hard workers. Uh, they instilled it in me at a very young age. Um, I've been working since I was 14 years old never stopped working through college, through law school, uh, put myself through um, through school at night while, while working full-time to pay for it. Um, it. It's just a part of who I am is just keep grinding, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And I think that gets recognized pretty early on in your career, uh, which leads to kind of the second thing I think that really, really is, is core to my success is that identified me to other senior leaders in the business as somebody who had potential. And those folks kind of gravitated over and sponsored my career early on. Uh, specifically, there was a, a one gentleman who uh, was our VP of sales at LexisNexis when I was just starting there as a sales executive. 
about 14 years ago. He he was a young VP of sales, exceptionally young, early 30s. Um, and he just gravitated towards me, gravitated towards my work ethic and and uh, and sponsored me through the early stage of my LexisNexis tenure and gave me opportunities that helped provide me with opportunities or access to opportunities that then I had to grab hold on and, and execute on. So, um, you know, creating sponsorships and creating those relationships and, and knowing, you know, how to leverage mentors and sponsors in an organization um, to not only benefit yourself, but to benefit them was a huge part of my, I, I believe, my early success. Um, and certainly even to, to this day, it's, it's been proven useful for me. Um, and then lastly, it's, it's just a will to win. I, I mean, I, I, we joke around in my company, I hate losing. When it doesn't matter what we're doing, it doesn't matter what, what, what the scenario, I am constantly, constantly trying to, to, trying to win. And, you know, usually in a friendly type manner, but I'm, I'm betting other divisions on who's going to have the best net promoter scores. I'm, I'm driving hardest, but who's going to have the greatest employee satisfaction scores for the, for, for the groups across the business. Um, I, I'm constantly trying to win. And, uh, yeah, I, th I think, you know, I think all salespeople are like that, right? You're not in sales if you don't enjoy winning, if you don't enjoy the game. And you don't play the game unless you're, you know, you're trying to win. So, uh, you know, I, th I think those three things, sponsorship, strong work ethic, and a desire to win, are probably what's driven the majority of my success. Around. You know, I, I have a similar background to you in terms of I started working, I think, at 13, um, mm -hmm. saving money for college and put myself through college and, and worked the whole time. Do you think people like us, you know, that we just approach things differently because we have that background of, you know, just being a self-starter and, and doing it, you know? You know, I, I um, it's a good question. I, I'd like to say that there is something unique about people who recognize that hard work is a necessity to, um, to success. Um, you know, there, there is a strong thread of entitlement more now today than there has been um, ever, I, I believe. And I'm, I'm not, you know, too advanced in years myself, but certainly I've seen it, right? Just, just through the hiring practices of the teams that I manage, the, the, the more and more people we bring on, the more entitled they are as to what should be expected versus what is earned. And I, I just never was raised that way, right? It, it was just, you know, if you wanted something, you worked for it, period. I mean, from I mean, my first real job was at 14, but since the age of five, right? We got, we got paid a, a nickel for every load of laundry we folded, or, you know, my, my sister got paid a quarter for every dress shirt she ironed for my grandfather, right? There's just these types of things that just happened from the age of five and six on all the way through till, you know, like I said, till today, I feel like, feel like I've been working for 30 years straight, so. Oh yeah, we had the same rule that if you left a shirt, like a dress shirt in the laundry, someone yeah. else could iron it for you, you had to pay them. Yeah. So I would do that all the time. I would just wait for that laundry. Over around the bin, right? I'd grab all my brother's shirts and I'd start ironing. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So you had mentioned something earlier about your, your sponsor that yeah. he provided you opportunities, but you had to grab hold of it. That's right. And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm blessed to have had a really strong sponsor in my career. Uh, to, you know, he ended up going from VP of sales to being uh, the CEO of our business and recently left about a year ago. And, uh, you know, he was a sponsor of mine, a mentor of mine. He's a close friend of mine. He even, he even helped me propose to my wife, uh, for, you know, many, many moons ago um, by, by sending an email saying that I want a sales trip, right? But uh, a, a, sales, a sales competition. Um, but he was just a tremendously valuable sponsor for me and, and mentor. He, uh, you know, what he did and he made it very clear was I'm not going to hand you anything, right? That is not my role as a sponsor. And certainly that I'd be failing you as a mentor if I did that. Uh, but what I will do is give you access. 
and by access, then you need to you need to kind of walk through it. So it's more as there's the door. Now you know where the door is. Uh, you know how to open it, and it's your job to turn the handle and walk through it. Um, and and he did that right. So he he introduced me to the right people uh, in the in the organization. He introduced me to the right projects in the organization. Like here's something that's important to the organization. It might have been at the time. You can think of a, a of a project where we were. It was a margin improvement project. We had to look at of our labor costs associated with some remedial low-level tasks and how we best optimize that group not to downsize them but to optimize to get more out of them long term it is a big project for us and it's all about tuning you know tuning the engine how do we squeeze the penny how do we change processes to go faster and now again i'm a sales guy at the time and he goes i think you're capable of thinking through these types of things the workflows so why don't you support that project uh, and that's what sponsors do is they give you access give you opportunity provide you with an opportunity to try to showcase your um, you know, showcase your abilities and or flex muscles that you maybe have never flexed before or you didn't even know you had. Um, but he was he was tremendously uh, useful uh, for me in that way. And it, it's probably one of the greatest um, benefits he's given me is to coach me on how to do that. So now, now I get to pay it forward. I do that a lot with the folks that I mentor and sponsor in the business is try to pull them into projects that are meaningful to our group, meaningful to the business as a whole, uh, meaningful to individual teams and have them chair them or 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 you know, lead them if, if necessary. And you know, it's, it's a great way to learn quick and, uh, and test yourself in ways that maybe you've never previously been tested. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Thinking back to those days when you're getting started in sales, what do you wish you had been taught at that time that you now know really would have made a difference? Oh man, there's so much. Um, you know, I probably would, if, more than anything, it's probably how to turn down a bad opportunity. Um, I chased a lot of what I thought were great opportunities and, and only to come out you know, realize later that they're just poor opportunities. They weren't qualified appropriately. I didn't have access to the right economic buyer. Or I didn't understand what their true needs were. Um, you know, we weren't the right solution match for what they needed. And I chased and chased and chased, spent cycles and time. Uh, and time is, you know, is the asset of a salesperson. Um, and when you're wasting those cycles and you're wasting that time, it's just time not spent on meaningful, ripe opportunities. Uh, so I, I'd like to think that if I had to do it over today, I would probably spend a lot less time chasing the, chasing the trash and really trying to, trying to dig for gold. Um, did a lot of that early in my career. Hell, I, I still find myself and, and folks on our teams, we still do it, everybody does it. We innately uh, kind of gravitate towards every opportunity could be the opportunity uh, for us to pursue that's just not the case. So knowing how to say no, sometimes just turning on business and moving forward with the opportunities that have high probability of success. Is that your best advice for someone who's getting started in sales? Um, you know, my best advice for somebody getting started in sales would be to self-educate. Uh, there, there's a lot, you know, they always say that you, you always hear the term, your natural, natural salesperson. And you know, what, what I think of when I hear that is that somebody's got the gift of gab and that they're convincing, they can be a strong, orator, uh, they're, they're eloquent, verbally, non-verbally. Um, but sales is different, right? Sales is an art. I mean, it really is, um, it's an art. And, th and there's a lot that you can self-educate. You can learn, you can read books on negotiation, prospecting, discovery. There's there's books on, um, you, you know, on, um, on customer success models and things along the lines that, depending on what types of sales you're in, whether it's account management, farming or hunting or variation of both, uh, that you can start to understand the foundational elements of being a strong salesperson in that domain and start to apply them. And that's just 
test and retest and test and see what sticks, then rinse, wash, repeat, continue to hone that skill, continue to hone that skill. And before you know it, you just become more of an expert. So, so if early on, I would say, I, I, you know, one of the first things I would probably do is self-educate on what are the fundamentals of sales. My, my first job um, kind of just got thrown into sales. It was you know, graduated from school with a business degree. It seemed the most logical type of move for me to go into. There's a lot of jobs out, out there and I jumped right into this, this sales role, but I really had never sold before. Done a lot of work, but never sold before. And that was, it was a learning curve for me. Uh, a lot of trial there. Do you have a crazy story from those days, those early days in sales? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's a crazy story, but it's one that sticks with me. I had a, my, my first job in sales, I was working for a company, most people know Office Depot. Um, they sold you know, office goods, supplies, furniture, printed products. And uh, I was I was selling to small to mid-sized businesses in the Miami metro area. I was living down in Florida. Um, and you can imagine how many businesses that qualify for small to mid-sized, right? thousands, right? thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And I had a wide swath of Broward and Dade County. And, and, um, and I remember getting with my sales manager at the time, who was still a very close friend of mine. Um, she's retired now, but just a tremendously strong sales, sales leader. And, uh, you know, every, at the time, this is pre cell phone days, but I did have a Palm Pilot, right? So I had one of these things that I thought was so cool. And it was, you know, it was allowed me to upload at the time an Excel spreadsheet. And, you know, what I did was I uploaded my entire account list to this Excel spreadsheet. What I did was I sorted it by, you know, who purchased what, for what reason, you know, what volumes and so on and so forth. And you know, I remember her coming with me, she said, who are we going to go see today? I mean, this was very much a knock on doors of people who have contracts with you and try to get them to move from A to B or from, you know, buy an X amount to Y amount, whatever the, whatever the sales motion was in that upsell or cross sell opportunity might, might exist. And I remember sitting down and I said, before we get going, let's sit down and like look at where we're going today, right? We're going to be in this zip code, like pull up all the accounts are in the zip code. I'm thinking I'm all flashy and, and doing it. I remember her looking at me and she goes, what are you doing? You know, like, you know, she's like, what is that thing? You know, it, was, it was just this enlightened moment where she, she kind of took a step back and she's like, that's pretty cool. She's like, you know, I always did it this way. She like pulled out this stack of papers and she's like, and I, you know, just kind of printed it out. But it was, it was a moment for me that where, where I realized that, um, you know, to work, kind of going back to what you asked, are the three things that may be successful. There's you know, work ethics part of it, but you know, you can, again, tune the, tune the engine and squeeze the penny if you work smarter and yeah. hard. Yeah. And, you know, one of the ways I work smarter was I'm going to be out in the field and be in this area and prepare for what happens if that person doesn't want to see me who I can pivot to next that's going to keep me in that sales mentality that I'm selling this product for this reason to this type of customer, yeah. cohort of customer, yeah. uh, depending on industry or vertical. And, you know, I was able to map out my path on that travel day with my boss. And it was a rewarding opportunity for me to see her, you know, be delighted with that's a unique way to think about being efficient in a sales, right. sales right. motion. If only you can figure out how to sell, you'd be, you'd be nonstop. And that was, you know, that was, uh, <laughs> literally my first week of work. And I, I remember being very proud of the idea that I was efficient uh, and very humbled by the idea that she told me I couldn't sell, but or that I was still learning for that matter. Yep. Yeah. There's that other part of it. You're efficient, but you still got to know how to sell. That's right. That's yep. Right. So tell, tell, let's talk about your transition into sales leadership. What was behind her? What motivated you to pursue a leadership role? Uh, you know, for me, it's, you know, you, you'll probably hear this quite often. Your top individual contributors probably make more than your, your average sales leader. Um, and, and that's certainly the case. And as I, you know, grew my career, I became a top individual contributor at you know, various different points in my selling career for different solutions, different parts of the business. Um, 
what really drove me to want to get into leadership was the ability to help other people grow the same way that I felt I had the opportunity to. Uh, you know, I am, I am a firm believer in talent development, right? I'm a firm believer in giving back to our employees. It's that, you know, it's cyclical, right? It, it, it's, as, it's as circular as you can get. I shouldn't say cyclical, it's as circular as you can get, which is, is a, you know, satisfied employee results in better outcomes or better outcomes drive a satisfied employee. And it doesn't really matter where you start, but the idea being that um, if you can impact one of them, it's, you can kind of drive customer, you know, employee satisfaction. And employee satisfaction, primary driver for that is development is people feeling like you're rewarding their top performance, that you're managing poor performance, that you're encouraging their, their skills and their traits. Um, and you can't necessarily do that as broadly as an individual contributor. You can mentor and you can support, but you can't be put in a position to really help somebody grow and achieve what their goals are. And that's, um, that was important to me. And that's something I look forward to taking. What on. was your biggest mistake or learning opportunity from those early days of leadership? expectation setting. Um, you know, I, I still find myself doing it from time to time is, is setting poor expectations for the folks who work for me, or even sometimes for myself, uh, relative to how I would be able to help and um, the time it might take and the amount of effort it might take. Um, and, uh, you know, th I think that's, that's something you can't get back, you know, setting expectations like a first impression, right? you, you get one chance at it. And, and you, know, you might have the opportunity to re retune that a little bit, but if you set a poor expectation out of the gate, it's really hard to claw back from that. And you know, early on managing, managing a team, and my first team was small, it was you know, four people. Um, it was just expectations on what they, you know, what I expected from them from, from, from a success perspective or what they can expect from me, you know, my, you know, or you know, how we could expect to achieve X, Y, Z, result for the business um, and setting these expectations that are either too lofty um, or that were uh, unattainable for reasons out of our control. Um, right. And when you get into management, you realize not every decision is yours. Uh, you know, you, you are beholden to, you know, support from your shared services, HR to move careers and talent development to put programs in place and, you know, your product team to help develop the product that you need to sell to be successful. And you set these expectations for yourself without thinking about the influences in um, if done, if done poorly, it can, it can unfortunately, uh, you know, result in the opposite effect of being motivating and inspirational and supportive to your team. It can, it can be pretty deflating. So right. it's probably the number one. So changing from, you know, a, a VP of sales where you're focused just on the sales team to now you've got this broad spectrum of responsibility. Was that a difficult transition for you to to shift that focus beyond just the sales team? Um, you know, this is my second tour of duty leading the sales group for for LexisNexis. The um, I'll, I'll answer that a different way and say the, the harder shift for me. I grew up in sales, right? So I mean, my first career, real true career outside of college was during college was in sales and um, did that for twelve years really on and off with hiatus in between doing some consulting work. Um, it was the transition out of sales and then back in that was more complicated for me. So I, I, had, I had, again, I had this great sponsor who pushed me in ways to try to lead different parts of the organization. He saw, he saw something in me that maybe I didn't see myself at the time and challenged me to go run the product organization or the analytics organization, or run a global operations teams or whatever, uh, whatever the flavor of the year was at that point uh, where they needed help or where he thought I could provide value. Um, and then several years after, five or six years after, I hadn't been in sales. 
we had a, a leadership gap as our head of sales, which was an unexpected gap. And I was asked to step in an interim basis. And I remember feeling you know, a little overwhelmed about, you know, can I still do this? I mean, again, it's, it's, it's not, you're not born a salesperson, right? You, you, you know, it is a skill. It's something you absolutely need to hone and you need to practice regularly, or, you know, you, you lose that, that ability to be, um, be an expert. So uh, that was, that was pretty daunting for me was, was coming back into sales, um, more so than making the transition to sales leadership. What about being responsible for the other groups like marketing and, and uh, uh, the operations oh, right. side? Um, you know, I, the, the groups that I currently manage today um, are so, I mean, we work so closely as, as, as a team. I, I mean, you know, my title is commercial operations really is just that because, you know, we cannot in sales. Sales cannot be successful without a strong brand lead generation in the market. And our marketing team is fantastic. Right. Uh, the marketing team doesn't have much to go out and market if we don't have the right thought leadership and the right forward thinking three to five year strategies in place by the uh, organization for which the product management team can execute on with engineering. Uh, so, so the teams that I have are so closely coordinated. Right, They're the thought leadership group, the marketing group, they're the engines that feed leads to the sales organization. It is a very, um, very natural synergy amongst, amongst the three groups, I think much more so than um, than we thought there would be when when they all pulled it under under my leadership. It was uh, it was not that big of a stretch to move into marketing. I will marketing annual strategy. I've done the strategy role for for years previously, so that that was more natural. Marketing, I have not. And to be completely honest, um, outside of the sales department, where I have a tremendously strong senior leader who leads the sales organization, and a very strong marketing leader, and an exceptionally strong uh, you know, strategy strategy lead as well. Um, my, my role is not to lead those functions. It's to support them and however they need to be supported to be successful as possible. A lot of times it's clarity of mission. It's making sure that we are all aligned to the same goals. It's making sure that we understand what dependencies of each other are um, and working through those methodically so that we're not tripping ourselves up. Um, because again, time, time wasted is you know, equal sales not made. And the, the better aligned we can be, the more successful we are. So no, it, answer your question in a very long-winded way. Um, the transition to those functions weren't nearly as complicated as a previous transition into product, which was completely foreign to me, or into operations, which was completely foreign. Um, it, was, it was actually much more much more smooth and, and expected than, than expected. That's interesting. So you talked a lot about sponsorship. Um, if, if I'm listening to the podcast as a young salesperson and I want to go out and get a sponsor or mentor, how should I go about that process? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. Uh, I know I, I can only speak from experience in our organization. I just recently picked up a young gentleman um, who I sponsor now. And I, I mentor about four or five people across the organization today um, and try to do so on a regular basis. And sometimes, you know, men, mentees stay with me for six months, sometimes it's three years. Right? Uh, meeting with one now, just met with one right before this call I've been working with for two years. Um, sponsorship's a little different. Right, uh, sponsorship is about access. Mentorship is about coaching and advice, and you know, it, certainly they can provide access and opportunity. But um, you know, there is a there is a different flavor there. And you know, sponsorship, I think, is I think I, well, I I'd like to say in our organization, I think more broadly outside of our organization, sponsorship is beholden on the employee, and mentorship is beholden on the leadership team. Right, and and that that's how I think of it. Meaning. You know, when you find a high performer in your organization, you have all organizations do employee 
uh, ratings and they, they, they do, they identify hypos and, and put the talent development plans in place. A mature organization will look at those hypos and say, we need to pair them with them. Right? As we develop them, we want them to get the experiences of the, the best and brightest we have in the business. So people who've been in those shoes before. And that's holding on to talent development, the sales and the leadership teams to kind of reach in and say, let us help you develop. And sponsorship is a little different. I think sponsorship again comes, comes down to somebody standing up and saying, I'm looking to grow my career, right? I'm looking to grow uh, professionally, even if it doesn't mean uh, career progression, um, but professional development. Um, and one way I need to do that is to get access across the organization. Now, I'm raising my hand and asking for it. Um, and then it's, then it's beholden on, this, on the leadership team to say, okay, let's talk about what that looks like and who's the right type of sponsor to get you. Uh, the, the gentleman that I'm sponsoring now, frankly, came about because he was a flight risk. Uh, he doesn't work for me. He doesn't even work in my division. He, uh, he happened to work for a colleague of mine that, that I used to work with very closely and ended up managing uh, a ways back. And uh, she called me up and said, you know, rock star of a young man is about to leave. He's got an offer somewhere else and we can't keep him. And I remember calling, I said, well, let me just give him a call. So I reached out to him and he didn't know me. I've never met him. And the conversation led to why he was leaving. And the reason he was leaving was because he felt like he was stagnant. He wasn't getting the experience and exposure outside of his, his group. And I said, well, have you talked to your manager about it? And he said, not really. I just kind of expected it to happen to me. That's the entitlement aspect a little bit. Right. So what if I commit to being your sponsor? Let me talk to you about what sponsorship means. And, and we kind of talked through that. Um, you know, this is no feather in my cap. Certainly it was a team effort, but the gentleman ended up staying, certainly. And he ended up staying, which is great. Uh, it's been about a month and a half now since I started working with him, since we were able to retain this again. And he's just he's tremendously talented. And, you know, being able to work with him and giving him opportunities to do things that will challenge him professionally and grow his career is exactly what he's been aching for and exactly something that I love watching and supporting doing. So, you know, we, we met yesterday. I feel like I have these meetings every week. I told you I just got off one. I had one yesterday, but I just met with him yesterday. His name is Andrew. Brilliant young man. And he told me how he wants to sponsor kind of a best practices form across the entire organization, but 7,000 employees. He works in this type of function and um, there's probably I don't know, dozens, maybe hundreds. I don't even know. Never really sat down to think of people who do his type of work because I feel like we're doing it differently. Um, I'd like to spot, you know, I'd like to start a form of best practice, collaboration, share, knowledge transfer. And, you know, that's something that's sponsored. Great. Now let me help you kick that off. To do this effectively, you know, now I can help kind of, layer in the mentoring bit, which is, you know, here's how you build a charter for a program like this. Here's how you garner support across the organization. Here's where I can help by pulling in my counterparts across the other divisions and identifying who the right people are to co-chair this program with you. Um, and he left completely enthused, at least I think he did. Um, I interpreted that he did. And we're meeting in a month to kind of build that charter. And our goal is to kind of help him develop himself and lead this change. And you know, in doing so, he'll get exposure. In doing so, he'll learn something new. And in doing so, he'll be, he's building his brand at the business. And, um, and you know, that that's really sponsorship. It's, it's providing them the opportunities to realize their own growth, but giving them the opportunities or at least providing access to opportunities that you can help accelerate, um, even though you're not doing it for them. Right, so. right, right. That's why I love doing this podcast is hearing stories like that. Um, that's a great example of leadership, in my opinion, that I love that your company has formalized that and created structure around that. I wish more companies did that. Yeah. Um, Cause that, that there are so many people like uh, I, I was reading, reading a study a while back, like the number one reason people leave an organization is they feel like they don't have a voice or that, that path, you know? Yeah. 
You know, it's 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 certainly, and it's not uncommon, right? I mean, most most organizations, large organizations, will do employee engagement surveys and scores on a yearly basis. Right. We do them. Uh, we do them. We take them super seriously, and, and and we employ the learnings out of there. We employ the following year and years forward right. to ensure that we're improving the satisfaction of employees, the engagement, the optimism, and, and thus you know retention and, and so on and so forth. Again, it's that circular motion, engage employees, great results, and. Uh, um, you know, every single time we do that, there are always the same common themes, right? One of the common themes is, you know, core performance isn't managed. Um, you know, it's always, is a common theme because, you know, people work in teams. And you always get the person who comes in in a group project and you know, shows up the last day and puts their name on the, you know, the worksheet and hands it to the professor and says, yep, I was there, right? Oh, yeah. uh, you know, so you, you get a lot of that. And then you get the person who's really busting their butt and, you know, putting in the work and, you know, doing 99% of the heavy lifting and uh, not rewarded or recognized for, for that effort. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's something that I think every organization, every senior leadership needs to be, senior leader needs to be acutely aware of is that there's always going to be a concern that, you know, you're, we're not managing appropriately the underperformers, you know, at least the perception was, and that we're not recognizing top performers. And the biggest risk, of course, as you know, is it's not that, um, those lower performers you're not managing up. That's a risk your business. You're managing up or managing out, whatever, hopefully managing out. That's a risk your business. The bigger risk is that your top performers are leaving. Oh, your yeah. top 25 are going away because they don't feel like they're being recognized. Then all you're left with are the, you know, yeah. the, the performers. And that's not okay. So, no, so not yeah. at all. Not at yeah. all. No, I love that. It's super important to stay focused on. It really is. Let's transition a bit to talk about something I'm very passionate about, CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? Yes. I guess the short answer to that would be I love it more than I hate it. Um, and, and maybe it's just a function of, of the systems I've used historically. Um, you know, I, I love this. I love a CRM for, from a leadership perspective for what it can provide me. Right. So, so yeah. the, the insights it provides at a macro level, the, uh, the reporting I get out of it, the top line kind of detail that um, gets aggregated up for me with a couple of clicks of a button uh, or delivered to me by, by an operations analyst is, is hugely impactful, right? Being able to, um, to see that and, and visualize and interpret what is otherwise you know, structured data, large database in a very meaningful way is, is super helpful. As a sales executive, I love it and it. Our, our CRM and our system is integral to our processes. And I don't just mean sales processes. I mean, it, it, it's what kicks off a contract. It's what kicks off our fulfillment. It's what kicks off a implementation team being assigned. It kicks off all these processes inside and touches multiple different systems outside. The CRM really is a major, you know, if you think about a hub and spoke type of, uh, type, type of uh, workflow, probably several times, one being a billing system and our CRM is right in the I mean, it really does touch so many different spoke systems. Um, so as, as a sales rep, I love it because I can get in there and I can do the work that I need one time and not have to go out to multiple systems and it kicks off all these workflows. The sales rep, I hate it because it's not really being, at least our CRM historically, and we're in the middle of a transition, um, wasn't really a CRM, it was a finance, it was a finance team. Right? I mean, the people right. who use the most get the most value out of it, one of the sales reps, and that's counterintuitive. It was the finance team and the senior leadership team pulling insights out. Uh, and, and when when that's your primary benefit, something's wrong with your CRM. Oh yeah. Yeah. So 
I see that a lot when I ask, like, well, tell me about your CRM, and they'll start talking. I'm like, wait a minute, that what CRM are you using? I found out it's not, it's really not a CRM. Yeah. It's some other tool that they co-opted and tried to make it a CRM. Sure. And so I imagine that's a big part of why you guys are transitioning to a new CRM. What What is your definition of success uh, for your new CRM platform? Oh boy. Um, you know, again, if you ask that question to me from, you know, wearing a marketing hat versus a strategy hat versus a sales hat, I'll probably give you a different answer. Um, I'll, I'll take it from the sales lens. Again, the operations team touches the CRM from an implementation perspective. So many success can look uh, vastly different depending on who you're asking. From, from my chair, if I'm wearing a sales hat, success looks like um, enabling the salesperson. Like really making her, you know, making them efficient. Again, going back to that efficiency play, the more time you can take out of their administrative duties and put them into the field, talking to customers, being present, you know, negotiating, just doing discovery, qualifying, prospecting. I mean, I mean, that's where I, we want as much time spent there. So success for me means optimizing the, the workflows that a CRM should be capable of performing um, in as little as time with as little touch as possible for a salesperson. Um, but providing them the benefit that they need, which really is to operate as a CRM, a customer relationship management tool, which should have everything from you know existing contracts, existing spend, uh, uh, contacts, you know, uh, you know, volume transactions based, and more transaction based as well, subscription based business. So understanding the nuances between different product levels and and, and suites of, uh, of solutions that customers may use. Um, you know, leads coming in through there, being able to nurture them or promote them to opportunities, being able to kind of manage just all interactions and start to load kind of artifacts from engagement with customers in a very easy way. Yep. Uh, historically, for us to load an artifact into CRM, we'd have to open up the CRM, drag it, drag it over, do X, Y, and Z. Now the new system we're going to has capabilities as simple as like you email to yourself and loads in your CRM with the, with the right, with the right uh, kind of tags. And that's that's efficiency, right? I mean, if that saves, you know, again, we're, we're not a, my division, our business as a whole, probably greater than a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred salespeople. My division is not going to pay me hundred folks at best. Um, the you know hundred sales folks. Um, you know, but if you can save thirty minutes a week across yeah. hundred sales folks, that is meaningful, right? It that is, is it's quite that's a bit called of ROI. Yeah, that's right. It's it's <laughs> it's another FTE that you're adding to the workforce. And by the way, coming full circle, you're providing better client satisfaction or customer customer employee satisfaction, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's a huge part. So success for me would be really enabling our salespeople to be as efficient as possible and get from a CRM what a CRM is intended to do, not be an administrative reporting tool for management. And that's unfortunately our current state situation today. So right. it's viewed right. as an administrative reporting tool. Now, I love that you guys are using your CRM across the organization. That's something I preach all the time. Um, for people that uh, maybe aren't structured that way that are listening to this, what advice do you have for them about why, the reasons why you want to extend CRM throughout the organization? Oh boy, um, it's kind of the same reasons you would employ common sales methodology, right? So, so there, there's there's benefit in being on a common vernacular or a common system, just in terms of efficiency. People are in the same system, they get to know it, they get to use it. There's uh, subject matter expertise and cross training that happens. Those are all the soft things. The, the hard benefits simply are it's, it's one system of record. I mean, I mean, it is easy to go into a system, a single system of record, as you, you know, as most companies are moving digital transformation and moving 
uh, you know, moving into the world of, of having data at their fingertips. Um, siloed information doesn't work, right? You need it in one central place. You need it in a structured manner. You need to have everything at your fingertips in one repository, or it, certainly you can have it in multiple, but it's hard to connect uh, multiple systems together and make them work seamlessly. When you have a single operating system that is built for a specific purpose and has modules and capabilities to expand out for purposes of project management or you know, operations, or we do data audits, and everything kind of runs through what could run through our CRM system, it becomes that system of record. Um, now, it's not the only system of record, but it is a primary system of record for a business that is rooted in, for a business rooted in data and analytics. So we understand the, the value of that, kind of having everything central. Um, and that's, that's probably the biggest benefit is as you start to think more broadly and really start to capture information or need the need to capture information, you don't have to go plucking it from 15 different places and try to stitch it together. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and you're also, by creating that single source of truth or you know record that, that now the whole organization can leverage that. The people downstream from sales can see what's coming. They can proactively plan and adjust and as opposed to you know always fighting fires of oh hey we have this high priority project drop whatever else you're doing we need you to do this um that's you know there's so many benefits we could go on and on and on talking about just that um we have come up on our time here on sales lead dog jeff i really appreciate you coming on the show it's been great listening to you if people want to reach out and connect with you uh, personally, if they want to learn more about LexisNexis and what you guys are doing, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, uh, you, you can you can reach me on LinkedIn under Jeff Diamond. Uh, Jeffrey Diamond, I think it'll be a link uh, somewhere associated with the podcast. And then, you know, my direct um, my the direct way to contact me would be via email. You can reach me at jeffrey.diamond at LexisNexisRift.com. Yeah, that's awesome. Jeff, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been yeah, great. Thank you for having me. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash Sales Lead Dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.